Section 19 of Round the Sofa by Elizabeth Gaskell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Noel Badrian. Half a Lifetime Ago, Part 1. Half a lifetime ago, there lived in one of the Westmoreland Dales a single woman of the name of Susan Dixon. She was owner of the small farmhouse where she resided, and of some thirty or forty acres of land by which it was surrounded. She had also an hereditary right to a sheep-walk extending to the wild fells that overhang Blear Tarn. In the language of the country, she was a stateswoman. Her house is yet to be seen on the Oxenfell Road, between Skelwith and Coniston. You go along a moorland track made by the carts that occasionally came for turf from the Oxenfell. A brook babbles and brattles by the wayside, giving you a sense of companionship which relieves the deep solitude in which this way is usually traversed. Some miles on this side of Coniston there is a farmstead, a grey stone house, and a square of farm buildings surrounding a green space of rough turf in the midst of which stands a mighty funereal umbrageous yew making a solemn shadow as of death in the very heart and centre of the light and heat of the brightest summer day on the side away from the house this yard slopes down to a dark brown pool which is supplied with fresh water from the overflowings of a stone cistern into which some rivulet of the brook before mentioned continually and melodiously falls bubbling the cattle drink out of the cistern the household bring their pitchers and fill them with drinking water by a dilatory yet pretty process the water carrier brings with her a leaf of the hound's tongue fern and inserting it in the crevice of the grey rock makes a cool green spout for the sparkling stream the house is no specimen at the present day of what it was in the lifetime of susan dixon then every small diamond pane in the windows glittered with cleanliness you might have eaten off the floor you could see yourself in the pewter plates and the polished oaken armory or dresser of the state kitchen into which you entered few strangers penetrated further than this room once or twice wandering tourists attracted by the lonely picturesqueness of the situation and the exquisite cleanliness of the house itself made their way into this house place and offered money enough as they thought to tempt the hostess to receive them as lodgers they would give no trouble they said they would be out rambling or sketching all day long would be perfectly content with a share of the food which she provided for herself or would procure what they required from the waterhead inn at coniston but no liberal sum no fair words moved her from her stony manner or her monotonous tone of indifferent refusal no persuasion could induce her to show any more of the house than the first room no appearance of fatigue procured for the weary an invitation to sit down and rest and if one more bold and less delicate did so without being asked susan stood by cold and apparently deaf or only replying by the briefest monosyllables till the unwelcome visitor had departed yet those with whom she had dealings in the way of selling her cattle or her farm produce spoke of her as keen after a bargain a hard one to have to do with and she never spared herself exertion or fatigue 
at market or in the field to make the most of her produce she led the haymakers with her swift steady rake and her noiseless evenness of motion she was about among the earliest in the market examining samples of oats pricing them and then turning with grim satisfaction to her own cleaner corn she was served faithfully and long by those who were rather her fellow labourers than her servants she was even and just in her dealings with them if she was peculiar and silent they knew her and knew that she might be relied on some of them had known her from her childhood and deep in their hearts was an unspoken almost unconscious pity for her for they knew her story though they never spoke of it yes the time had been when that tall gaunt hard-featured angular woman who never smiled and hardly ever spoke an unnecessary word had been a fine-looking girl bright-spirited and rosy and when the hearth at the yew nook had been as bright as she with family love and youthful hope and mirth fifty or fifty-one years ago william dixon and his wife margaret were alive and susan their daughter was about eighteen years old ten years older than the only other child a boy named after his father william and margaret dixon were rather superior people of a character belonging as far as i have seen exclusively to the class of westmoreland and cumberland statesmen just independent upright not much given to much speaking kind-hearted but not demonstrative disliking change and new ways and new people sensible and shrewd each household self-contained and its members having little curiosity as to their neighbours with whom they rarely met for any social intercourse save at the stated times of sheep-shearing and christmas having a certain kind of sober pleasure in amassing money which occasionally made them miserable as they call miserly people up in the north in their old age reading no light or ephemeral literature but the grave solid books brought around by the peddlers such as the paradise lost and regained the death of abel the spiritual quixote and the pilgrim's progress were to be found in nearly every house the men occasionally going off laking i e playing i e drinking for days together and having to be hunted up by anxious wives who dared not leave their husbands to the chances of the wild precipitous roads but walked miles and miles lantern in hand in the dead of night to discover and guide the solemnly drunken husbands home who had a dreadful headache the next day and the day after that came forth as grave and sober and virtuous looking as if there were no such thing as malt and spirituous liquors in the world and who were seldom reminded of their misdoings by their wives to whom such occasional outbreaks were as things of course when once the immediate anxiety produced by them was over such were such are the characteristics of a class now passing away from the face of the land as their compeers the yeomen have done before them of such was william dixon he was a shrewd clever farmer in his day and generation when shrewdness was rather shown in the breeding and rearing of sheep and cattle than in the cultivation of land owing to this character of his 
statesman from a distance beyond kendal or from borrowdale of greater wealth than he would send their sons to be farm servants for a year or two with him in order to learn some of his methods before setting up on land of their own when susan his daughter was about seventeen one michael hurst was farm servant at yew nook he worked with the master and lived with the family and was in all respects treated as an equal except in the field his father was a wealthy statesman at withburn up beyond grasmere and through michael's servitude the families had become acquainted and the dixons went over to the high beck sheep shearing and the hursts came down by the red bank and the lochrig tarn and across the oxen fell when there was the christmas tide feasting at yew nook the fathers strolled around the fields together examining cattle and sheep and looked knowing over each other's horses the mothers inspected the dairies and household arrangements each openly admiring the plans of the other but secretly preferring their own both fathers and mothers cast a glance from time to time at michael and susan who were thinking of nothing less than farm or dairy but whose unspoken attachment was in all ways so suitable and natural a thing that each parent rejoiced over it although with characteristic reserve it was never spoken about not even between husband and wife susan had been a strong independent healthy girl a clever help to her mother and a spirited companion to her father more of a man in her as he often said than her delicate little brother ever would have he was his mother's darling although she loved susan well there was no positive engagement between michael and susan i doubt whether even plain words of love had been spoken when one winter time margaret dixon was seized with inflammation consequent upon a neglected cold she had always been strong and notable and had been too busy to attend to the earliest symptoms of illness it would go off she said to the woman who helped in the kitchen or if she did not feel better when they had got the hams and bacon out of hand she would take some herb tea and nurse up a bit but death could not wait till the hams and bacon were cured he came on with rapid strides and shooting arrows of portentous agony susan had never seen illness never knew how much she loved her mother till now when she felt a dreadful instinctive certainty that she was losing her her mind was thronged with recollections of the many times she had slighted her mother's wishes her heart was full of the echoes of careless and angry replies that she had spoken what would she not now give to have opportunities of service and obedience and trials of her patience and love for that dear mother who lay gasping in torture and yet susan had been a good girl and an affectionate daughter the sharp pain went off and delicious ease came on yet still her mother sunk in the midst of this languid peace she was dying she motioned susan to her bedside for she could only whisper and then while the father was out of the room she spoke as much to the eager hungering eyes of her daughter by the motion of her lips as by the slow feeble sounds of her voice susan lass thou must not fret it is god's will and thou wilt have a deal to do 
keep father straight if thou canst and if he goes out elverston ways see that thou meet him before he gets to the old quarry it's a dree bit for a man who has had a drop as for lil will here the poor woman's face began to work and her fingers to move nervously as they lay on the bed quilt lil will will miss me most of all father's often vexed with him because he's not a quick strong lad he is not my poor lil chap and father thinks he's saucy because he cannot always stomach oat-cake and porridge there's better than three pounds in the old black teapot on the top shelf of the cupboard just keep a piece of loaf bread by you susan dear for will to come to when he's not taken his breakfast i have maybe spoilt him but there'll be no one to spoil him now she began to cry a low feeble cry and covered up her face that susan might not see her that dear face those precious moments while yet the eyes could look out with love and intelligence susan laid her head down close by her mother's ear mother i'll take tent of quill mother do you hear he shall not want aught i can give or get for him least of all the kind words which you had ever ready for us both bless you bless you my own mother thou'lt promise me that susan wilt thou i can die easy if thou'lt take charge of him but he's hardly like other folk he tries father at times though i think father'll be tender of him when i'm gone for my sake and susan there's one thing more i never spoke on it for fear of the baron being called a tell-tale but i just comforted him up he vexes michael at times and michael has struck him before now i did not want to make a stir but he's not strong and a word from thee susan will go a long way with michael susan was as red now as she had been pale before it was the first time that her influence over michael had been openly acknowledged by a third person and a flash of joy came athwart the solemn sadness of the moment her mother had spoken too much and now came on the miserable faintness she never spoke again coherently but when her children and her husband stood by her bedside she took little will's hand and put it into susan's and looked at her with imploring eyes susan clasped her arms around will and leaned her head upon his curly little one and vowed within herself to be as a mother to him henceforward she was all in all to her brother she was a more spirited and amusing companion to him than his mother had been from her greater activity and perhaps also from her originality of character which often prompted her to perform her habitual actions in some new and racy manner she was tender to little will when she was prompt and sharp with everybody else with michael most of all for somehow the girl felt that unprotected by her mother she must keep up her own dignity and not allow her lover to see how strong a hold he had upon her heart he called her hard and cruel and left her so and she smiled softly to herself when his back was turned to think how little he guessed how deeply he was loved for susan was merely comely and fine-looking michael was strikingly handsome admired by all the girls for miles round 
and quite enough of a country coxcomb to know it and plume himself accordingly he was the second son of his father the eldest would have highbeck farm of course but there was a good penny in the candle bank in store for michael when harvest was over he went to chapel langdale to learn to dance and at night in his merry moods he would do his steps on the flag floor of the yew nook kitchen to the secret admiration of susan who had never learnt dancing but who flouted him perpetually even while she admired in accordance with the rule she seemed to have made for herself about keeping him at a distance so long as he lived under the same roof with her one evening he sulked at some saucy remark of hers he sitting in the chimney corner with his arms on his knees and his head bent forward lazily gazing into the wood fire on the hearth and luxuriating in rest after a hard day's labour she sitting among the geraniums on the long low window-seat trying to catch the last slanting rays of the autumnal light to enable her to finish stitching a shirt-collar for will who lounged full length on the flags at the other side of the hearth to michael poking the burning wood from time to time with a long hazel stick to bring out the leap of glittering sparks and if you can dance a threesome reel what good does it do ye asked susan looking askance at michael who had just been vaunting his proficiency does it help you plough or reap or even climb the rocks to take a raven's nest if i were a man i'd be ashamed to give in to such softness if you were a man you'd be glad to do anything which made the pretty girls stand round and admire as they do to you eh ho michael that would not be my way of being a man what would then asked he after a pause during which he had expected in vain that she would go on with her sentence no answer i should not like you as a man susie you'd be too hard and headstrong am i hard and headstrong asked she with as indifferent a tone as she could assume but which yet had a touch of pique in it his quick ear detected the inflection no susie you're wilful at times and that's right enough i don't like a girl without spirit there's a mighty pretty girl come to the dancing class but she's all milk and water her eyes never flash like yours when you're put out why i can see them flame across the kitchen like a cat's in the dark now if you were a man i should feel queer before those looks of yours as it is i rather like them because because what asked she looking up and perceiving that he had stolen close up to her because i can make all right in this way said he kissing her suddenly can you said she wrenching herself out of his grasp and panting half with rage take that by way of proof that making right is none so easy and she boxed his ear pretty sharply he went back to his seat discomfited and out of temper she could no longer see to look even if her face had not burnt and her eyes dazzled but she did not choose to move her seat so she still persevered her stooping attitude and pretended to go on sewing eleanor hebthwaite may be milk and water muttered he but confound thee lad what art doing exclaimed michael as a great piece of burning wood was cast into his face by an unlucky poke of wills 
thou great lounging clumsy chap i'll teach thee better and with one or two good round kicks he sent the lad whimpering away into the back kitchen when he had a little recovered himself from his passion he saw susan standing before him her face looking strange and almost ghastly by the reversed position of the shadows arising from the firelight shining upward right under it i tell thee what michael said she that lad's motherless but not friendless his own father lathers him and why should not i when he's given me such a burn on my face said michael putting up his hand to his cheek as if in pain his father's his father and there is naught more to be said but if he did burn thee it was by accident and not o purpose as thou kicked him it's a mercy if his ribs are not broken he howls loud enough i'm sure i might a kicked many a lad twice as hard and they'd nearer said aught but damn ye but yon lad must needs cry out like a stuck pig if one touches him replied michael sullenly susan went back to the window-seat and looked absently out of the window at the drifting clouds for a minute or two while her eyes filled with tears then she got up and made for the outer door which led into the back kitchen before she reached it however she heard a low voice whose music made her thrill say susan susan her heart melted within her but it seemed like treachery to her poor boy like faithlessness to her dead mother to turn to her lover while the tears which he had caused to flow were yet unwiped on will's cheeks so she seemed to take no heed but passed into the darkness and guided by the sobs she found her way to where will sat crouched among disused tubs and churns come out wi me lad and they went into the orchard where the fruit trees were bare of leaves but ghastly in their tattered covering of grey moss and the soughing november wind came with long sweeps over the fells till it rattled among the crackling boughs underneath which the brother and sister sat in the dark he in her lap and she hushing his head against her shoulder thou shouldst not play with fire it's a naughty trick thou'lt suffer for it in worse ways nor this before thou'st done i'm afeard i should a hit thee twice as lungeous kicks as mike if i'd been in his place he didna hurt thee i'm sure she assumed half as a question yes but he did he turned me quite sick and he let his head fall languidly down on his sister's breast come lad come lad she said anxiously be a man it was not much that i saw why when first the red cow came she kicked me far harder for offering to milk her before her legs were tied see thee here's a peppermint drop and i'll make thee a pasty to-night only don't give way so for it hurts me sore to think that michael has done thee any harm my pretty willie roused himself up and put back the wet and ruffled hair from his heated face and he and susan rose up and hand in hand went towards the house walking slowly and quietly except for a kind of sob which willie could not repress susan took him to the pump and washed his tear-stained face till she thought she had obliterated all traces of the recent disturbance arranging his curls for him and then she kissed him tenderly and let him in hoping to find michael in the kitchen 
and make all straight between them but the blaze had dropped down into darkness the wood was a heap of grey ashes in which the sparks ran hither and thither but even in the groping darkness susan knew by the sinking at her heart that michael was not there she threw another brand on the hearth and lighted the candle and sat down to her work in silence willie cowered on his stool by the side of the fire eyeing his sister from time to time and sorry and oppressed he knew not why by the sight of her grave almost stern face no one came they too were in the house alone the old woman who helped susan with the household work had gone out for the night to some friend's dwelling william dixon the father was up on the fell seeing after his sheep susan had no heart to prepare the evening meal susie darling are you angry with me said willie in his little piping gentle voice he had stolen up to his sister's side i won't ever play with fire again and i'll not cry if michael does kick me only don't look so like dead mother don't don't please don't he exclaimed hiding his face on her shoulder i'm not angry willie said she don't be feared on me you want your supper and you shall have it and don't you be feared on michael he shall give reason for every hair of your head that he touches he shall when william dixon came home he found susan and willie sitting together hand in hand and apparently pretty cheerful he bade them go to bed for that he would sit up for michael and the next morning when susan came down she found that michael had started an hour before with the cart for lime it was a long day's work susan knew it would be late perhaps later than on the preceding night before he returned at any rate past her usual bedtime and on no account would she stop up a minute beyond that hour in the kitchen whatever she might do in her bedroom here she sat and watched till past midnight and when she saw him coming up the brow with the carts she knew full well even in that faint moonlight that his gait was the gait of man in liquor but though she was annoyed and mortified to find in what way he had chosen to forget her the fact did not disgust or shock her as it would have done many a girl even at that day who had not been brought up as susan had among a class who considered it no crime but rather a mark of spirit in a man to get drunk occasionally nevertheless she chose to hold herself very high all the next day when michael was perforce obliged to give up any attempt to do heavy work and hung about the outbuildings and farm in a very disconsolate and sickly state willie had far more pity on him than susan before evening willie and he were fast and on his side ostentatious friends willie rode the horses down to the water willie helped him to chop wood susan sat gloomily at her work hearing an indistinct but cheerful conversation going on in the shippen while the cows were being milked she almost felt irritated with her little brother as if he were a traitor and had gone over to the enemy in the very battle she was fighting in his cause she was alone with no one to speak to 
while they prattled on, regardless if she were glad or sorry. Soon Willie burst in. Susan, Susan, come with me. I've something so pretty to show you. Round the corner of the barn, run, run. He was dragging her along, half reluctant, half desirous of some change in that weary day. Round the corner of the barn, and caught hold of by Michael, who stood there awaiting her. Oh, Willie, cried she, you naughty boy, there is nothing pretty. What have you brought me here for? Let me go, I won't be held. Only one word. Nay, if you wish it so much, you may go, said Michael, suddenly loosing his hold as she struggled. But now she was free, she only drew off a step or two, murmuring something about Willie. You are going, then, said Michael, with seeming sadness. You won't hear me say a word of what is in my heart. How can I tell whether it is what I should like to hear, replied she, still drawing back. That is just what I want you to tell me. I want you to hear it, and then to tell me whether you like it or not. Well, you may speak, replied she, turning her back and beginning to plait the hem of her apron. He came close to her ear. I'm sorry I hurt Willie the other night. He has forgiven me. Can you? You hurt him very badly, she replied, but you are right to be sorry. I forgive you. Stop, stop, said he, laying his hand upon her arm. There is something more I've got to say. I want you to be my... What is that they call it, Susan? I don't know, said she, half laughing, but trying to get away with all her might now. And she was a strong girl, but she could not manage it. You do. My... What is it I want you to be? I tell you I don't know, and you had best be quiet, and just let me go in, or I shall think you're as bad now as you were last night. And how did you know what I was last night? It was past twelve when I came home. Were you watching? Ah, Susan, be my wife, and you shall never have to watch for a drunken husband. If I were your husband, I would come straight home, and count every minute an hour till I saw your bonny face. Now you know what I want you to be. I ask you to be my wife. Will you, my own dear Susan? She did not speak for some time. Then she only said, Ask father. And now she was really off like a lapwing around the corner of the barn, and up in her own little room, crying with all her might before the triumphant smile had left Michael's face where he stood. The Ask Father was a mere form to be gone through. Old Daniel Hurst and William Dixon had talked over what they could respectively give their children long before this, and that was the parental way of arranging such matters. When the probable amount of worldly gear that he could give his child had been named by each father, the young folk, as they said, might take their own time in coming to the point which the old men, with the prescience of experience, saw that they were drifting to. No need to hurry them, for they were both young, and Michael, though active enough, was too thoughtless, old Daniel said, to be trusted with the entire management of a farm. 
Meanwhile his father would look about him, and see after all the farms that were to be let. Michael had a shrewd notion of this preliminary understanding between the fathers, and so felt less daunted than he might otherwise have done at making the application for Susan's hand. It was all right. There was not an obstacle, only a deal of good advice, which the lover thought might have as well been spared, and which it must be confessed he did not much attend to, although he assented to every part of it. Then Susan was called downstairs, and slowly came dropping into view down the steps which led from the two family apartments into the house-place. She tried to look composed and quiet, but it could not be done. She stood side by side with her lover, with her head drooping, her cheeks burning, not daring to look up or move, while her father made the newly betrothed a somewhat formal address, in which he gave his consent, and many a piece of worldly wisdom beside. Susan listened as well as she could for the beating of her heart, but when her father solemnly and sadly referred to his own lost wife, she could keep from sobbing no longer but throwing her apron over her face, she sat down on the bench by the dresser, and fairly gave way to pent-up tears. Oh, how strangely sweet to be comforted as she was comforted, by tender caress and many a low-whispered promise of love. Her father sat by the fire, thinking of the days that were gone. Willie was still out of doors, but Susan and Michael felt no one's presence or absence. They only knew they were together as betrothed husband and wife. In a week or two they were formally told of the arrangements to be made in their favour. A small farm in the neighbourhood happened to fall vacant, and Michael's father offered to take it for him, and be responsible for the rent for the first year, while William Dixon was to contribute a certain amount of stock, and both fathers were to help towards the furnishing of the house. Susan received all this information in a quiet, indifferent way. She did not much care for any of these preparations, which were to hurry her through the happy hours. She cared least of all for the money amount of dowry and of substance. It jarred on her to be made the confident of occasional slight repinings of Michael's, as one by one his future father-in-law set aside a beast or a pig for Susan's portion which were not always the best animals of their kind upon the farm. But he also complained of his own father's stinginess, which somewhat, though not much, alleviated Susan's dislike to being awakened out of her pure dream of love to the consideration of worldly wealth. But in the midst of all this bustle, Willie moped and pined. He had the same cord of delicacy running through his mind that made his body feeble and weak. He kept out of the way, and was apparently occupied in whittling and carving uncouth heads on hazel sticks in an outhouse. But he positively avoided Michael, and shrunk away even from Susan. She was too much occupied to notice this at first. Michael pointed it out to her, saying with a laugh, Look at Willie, he might be a cast-off lover and jealous of me. He looks so dark and downcast at me. Michael spoke this jest out loud, and Willie burst into tears and ran out of the house. 
let me go let me go said susan for her lover's arm was round her waist i must go to him if he's fretting i promised mother i would she pulled herself away and went in search of the boy she sought in byre and barn through the orchard where indeed in this leafless winter time there was no great concealment up into the room where the wool was usually stored in the late summer and at last she found him sitting at bay like some hunted creature up behind the woodstack what are ye gone for lad and me seeking you everywhere asked she breathless i did not know you would seek me i've been away many a time and no one has cared to seek me said he crying afresh nonsense replied susan don't be so foolish ye little good for naught but she crept up to him in the hole he had made underneath the great brown sheaves of wood and squeezed herself down by him what for should folk seek after you when you get away from them whenever you can asked she they don't want me to stay nobody wants me if i go with father he says i hinder more than i help you used to like to have me with you but now you've taken up with michael and you'd rather i was away and i can just bide away but i cannot stand michael jeering at me he's got you to love him and that might serve him but i love you too dearly lad said she putting her arm around his neck which on us do you like best said he wistfully after a little pause putting her arm away so that he might look in her face and see if she spoke truth she went very red you should not ask such questions they are not fit for you to ask nor for me to answer but mother bade you love me said he plaintively and so i do and so i ever will do lover nor husband shall come betwixt thee and me lad ne'er a one of them that i promise thee as i promised mother before in the sight of god and with her hearkening now if ever she can hearken to earthly word again only i cannot abide to have thee fretting just because my heart is large enough for two and thou'lt love me always always and ever and the more the more thou'lt love michael said she dropping her voice i'll try said the boy sighing for he remembered many a harsh word and blow of which his sister knew nothing she would have risen up to go away but he held her tight for here and now she was all his own and he did not know when such a time might come again so the two sat crouched up and silent till they heard the horn blowing at the field gate which was the summons home to any wanderers belonging to the farm and at this hour of the evening signified that supper was ready then the two went in end of section 19